Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Genesis 29, verse 16. We need some more time. Say, give me more time. Here we go. It's going to be on the screen. Genesis 29, verse 16. It says this. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for life change. We thank you for baptisms. We thank you for uh, what is happening here at Oasis. Lord, we thank you for healings that are happening in people's bodies even right now, God. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing, um, not just in this church, but in churches around the nation today. God, as, as people gather to worship you, uh, as pe- people gather to, to, to love one another uh, and to, to be an example of who you are. So God, we just ask today as we dive into your word, God, your, your, your word would speak to us and speak clearly to us. We know your word is active, it is living, it is moving, it has the power to transform us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. What is the standard of beauty? What, what is the scale on which you measure beauty? Think about it. Can you define it? The answer is, is, is no, because we each define it differently. What, what you may find as the standard of beauty could be different from what this side defines as, as the standard. We, we, can, we can have different opinions on what beauty is. And, and we even see uh, through different cultures, through different eras, through, through different uh, ages, the standard of beauty changes. I actually wanted to, I wanted to run through a list of some of the recent beauty trends in the last like 10 to 15 years, but, but some of you were doing them and I didn't want to offend you. <laughs> so, so I decided to go way back uh, and we're going to look at some trends and some pictures of the standard of beauty. So why don't you put that first one up? Uh, so I don't know if you can tell, I don't even know the actual ages, but what is happening here is in this particular time, the people thought that if you would be hairless, it was beautiful. So the women would pluck their eyelashes, pluck their eyebrows, and shave their hairlines all the way back to where they couldn't be seen. That was the standard of beauty. How I many of you are glad that's not the standard of beauty anymore? <laughs> show, why don't you show the next one? Uh, this one... Uh, so at that point in time, pale skin in this, in this culture, in this era, was, was the definition of beauty. And if you could see people's veins, oh, how beautiful. 
So they would actually paint blue lines on their skin so it looked like their veins stood out more. We just like to go tanning, don't we now? Uh, all right, next one. Uh, this is what we call the unibrow era. Uh, some of us are going, dang, I missed out. <laughs> Wouldn't have had to shave it every week. Uh, the, the, the standard of beauty in this time was to have a unibrow. So if you were not lucky enough or blessed enough to have a natural one, you would take goat hair and connect those eyebrows. Even, even now, right? The standard of beauty, men, the standard of beauty for us. I was, I was sitting there uh, last night with my wife and she was going out and, and we've been working out lately, uh, trying to get back in shape. Uh, but I said, hey babe, you're gonna be by the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, I'm gonna snag your boy a cheesecake. <laughs> and she just looked at me and she said, Jason Momoa, babe, Jason Momoa. <laughs> and so apparently this is now, this is now the standard of beauty. Take it down before they stumble. Uh, this is standard, it's unattainable, I don't like it. So while she was gone, I actually was like, hey, just so you know, uh, in Ethiopia, this is the standard of beauty. The bigger the belly, the more they want you. And that's where I wanna live. So I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> beauty changes. Beauty shifts. You, you think I'm being, you think I'm being, uh, uh, whatever. Heidi and I were having this conversation the other day, even, even when, I was, when I was younger, like think back. Think back, because you're putting this on me. You think I'm superficial, so now I'm gonna put it on you. Uh, think back to people you had a crush on in high school. I heard some, ooh, <laughs> college. And we were talking about this the other day and I was like, there are some people that I would have done anything to be in a relationship with them at that time. And now from time to time, they pop up on my Instagram or my Facebook and I go, what was I thinking? <laughs> right? Not just me, okay. Any of you ever met someone, like a friend's like, hey, I want to introduce you, my fiance. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to meet him. And you're getting ready to meet him for the first time, right? And then they bring him and you're like, you could do so much better. <laughs> Ever had that thought? Just, just me, that somebody said, yep. So that was personal, that sounded personal. Uh, so, and then, then, take away the fact that we just have different lenses. Now, we also have to consider the sliding scale. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. She may be a 10, but she's crazy, so she drops down to a five. <laughs> right? Or, he may be just like, ah, he's all right, but he's got a good job and he treats you well, so he moves up to a seven. I'm the only one? Okay, don't act so, whatever. Beauty is a sliding scale. The idea of, of beauty cannot be defined, it cannot be uh, uh, trapped in one location and nailed down and say, this is what beauty is, which leads us to the age-old adage, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. What about when we're not just talking about people's appearances? What if we're talking about how they act, who they are, especially in the church? I, I think we could all agree that, that in the church we've encountered some pretty people, we've encountered some ugly people, and we've encountered some pretty ugly people. Would you agree? And so today, I wanna to look at our text. And, and before you take it at surface, oh my gosh, I hit puberty. 
<clears throat> Jeez. The Lord humbling me. <laughs> Sit down, son. Uh, <laughs> I might need some water. Uh, at surface level, you may take this story at surface level, but let's see what we can learn. Uh, so before we dive into the text today, we are talking about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. But before we start there, we actually have to rewind. I need to give you some context, okay? Uh, so we start with Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of our faith, right? If you've been in here and you've been in church for a while or you went to Sunday school, you know the song, right? Father Abraham had many sons, had many said Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's go. Right, okay, so Abraham had many sons, but he really didn't, right? Uh, so Abraham was promised a son. God said, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. The problem was they were old. Sarah was in her barren years and they still didn't have a child. And so Sarah says, you know what? Uh, it's not working with me and God promised it. So, so here's my servant, Hagar. You can have her, have a child with her. And so Abraham does. And then, and then Ishmael comes and, and then Sarah gets jealous and so she sends Hagar out. Pretty ugly, right? And then God says, no, 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 there's still a promise. And, and so then they have their son, Isaac. And then Isaac goes on. And Isaac gets married and, and he, has, uh, he marries Rebekah and they have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they're twins. And when they're coming out, uh, Esau is coming out first, and they actually say that Jacob grabs the heel, almost as if he was saying, get back in here so I could go first. But Esau comes out, so he's the firstborn. He has the rights of the firstborn. However, Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau. Now, I know y'all wanna act like you don't have favorite kids, but you do, okay? And so Rebecca devises this plan Right, Jacob already, at a certain point, Jacob steals the birthright of Esau, but there's still a blessing to go on Esau. And, and Rebekah and Jacob devise a plan to trick Isaac to make him think that Jacob is Esau and to, and to steal his blessing. And so they put goat hair all over him and they make him have this smell and, and they, they make this stew. And while Esau is out in the field, Working and hunting, Jacob walks into his father Isaac. He says, Here I am, your son Esau. And Isaac doesn't sound, he says, It doesn't sound like you, but, but it smells like you, it feels like you. And he then blesses him with the blessing of the firstborn, the promise actually of God. And as he receives that, he is leaving, Esau's coming in, and he realizes, they realize what happened, that again, he deceived and he stole the blessing, stole the birthright. And so Esau's in this place where he's, he, he's upset, he's mad, he's angry, and he vows, I'm going to kill Jacob. Pretty ugly. And so Rebecca says, hey, listen, your brother is going to kill you. He's angry. And so what she does is she says, here's the deal. I need you to go away. And as you go away, go to this land where my family is and find a wife there for yourself. 
And so Jacob goes and, and we get to uh, Genesis 28 and Isaac actually calls Jacob back in before because he goes, okay, it's done, it, it's happened. And he blesses him and he says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty blessed you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. This is an ugly story. So Jacob leaves. And actually I was gonna skip over this part here in 28, but, but I think it's important because here is Jacob. He's been a deceiver. He's lied. He's tricked his way into a blessing. And then we see in Genesis 28, or yeah, Genesis 28, verse 15, that he meets God and God blesses him. Verse 15, behold, I'm with you, this is God, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. So God meets with him, blesses him, and then Jacob makes this promise. He says, then Jacob made a vow saying, I will be with if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And that brings us to our text today. Jacob is on this journey. And he's being sent out to escape his brother, but to find his wife. How many remember the moment you met your spouse? Was it romantic or just regular, dull and boring? There was not a great rousing like response, so. How many single people are waiting to meet your spouse? Come on, somebody. Okay, so Jacob is on his way to find a wife. He is a man on a mission. And so he gets to the place, he gets to the land where he knows he's supposed to find her and he sees this, these men at this well and he says this, he says, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Like, I feel like this weird shouting match, right? <laughs> he said, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. A lot of mother's brothers, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like love at first sight for Jacob. He sees her and he knows this is the one. This is it. So he rolls the stone away. And then he says, I'll water your flock. And so he begins to water Rachel's flock for her. And it's so romantic and it's so chivalrous. But the next thing to do, fellas, if you're in the room and you're single looking for a lady, this isn't it. It says, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now listen, guys, if you're pursuing a woman in here today, this is not the plan. Don't water her flocks. I don't even know what that means. But don't water her flocks. Don't kiss her immediately. And then definitely don't weep. Let's just say you happen to, on the first date, be lucky enough to get a kiss, right? 
you had the charm going, you get the first kiss, and then he weeps. Ladies, red flag, run away, <laughs> right? Run, don't stay, like, it just, yeah. Verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father, as she should have. I'm, I'm, making, I'm making jokes because this seems absolutely ridiculous to us. Like within our context and with our understanding of dating and marriage is, is stupid. <laughs> but in the, in the current context, marriages were set up all the time. In this, in this time, these marriages would be arranged. And, and so she, she, she's there, she runs, she goes to her father. Uh, and Jacob would have known because at the time, you would have to pay a bride price. So if you were going to marry the daughter of someone, you would have to pay in order for her to come in, uh, or for, for her to be your wife. That was, that was the culture, that was the time of the day. So she goes, tells her father, right? Uh, and he comes back. I would have come back with a shotgun, he doesn't, okay? Uh, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I, I don't know how to break down Leah's eyes were weak for you, so I'm just gonna set it down and not pick it back up, okay? Uh, <laughs> but I'll jump straight to Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, the Bible says. Translation, Rachel had it going on, right? Okay, any John Legend fans in here? Anybody? Come, yes, come on somebody. It's, this is the John Legend, right? All of me loves all of you, all your curves and all your, come on, help me out. All your perfect imperfections, right? It's all of it, he loved all of it. He wanted all of it. And so, so Jacob is head over heels in love with Rachel. And so he tells Laban, I want her. And, and look, I don't have money. I don't have things. So here's what I'll do. I'll work for seven years for you, for her. Seven years of free labor. Just give me your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban says, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Ladies, that's where you're like, oh, isn't it beautiful? Seven years? Some of y'all can't wait seven weeks. <laughs> seven years? Like, and make, listen, make no mistake, Jacob was staying in Laban's house. There was no plain house here. They weren't shacking up and saying, well, we'll just do the real thing later. No, no, no. They were separated. There was no consummation of marriage here. 
He is working seven hard years. Ladies, if he knows your value, he'll wait and he'll work. Well, that's a word. I don't, you can leave it alone. He waited. And Jacob says to Laban, so seven years goes by. And Jacob, I love this. He pulls zero punches in this text. This is what I love about the Bible. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. That means exactly what you think it means. Exactly what you think it means. Seven years is a long time for this guy to be here with. It's a long time. He says, listen, Laban, I want my wife. I want to be intimate with her. Give her to me now, right? (laughs) So verse 22, Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Like this, this is some Jerry Springer type stuff, right? Can you imagine Jacob sitting there, night of his life, turns around and looks over and he goes, we guys, like, how have I been tripped? Jacob is livid. He thought he was getting Rachel, but he gets Leah. Isn't it ironic, though, that Jacob, whose name means deceiver, who was in this land in the first place because he tricked his father and switched places with the firstborn, Mm. it's ironic how he now gets it turned on him and marries the firstborn of Laban. I find it comical because, listen, we can, we can very easily and very quickly point out the ugliness in other people. We can very easily assess and understand that's not right, that's not right, they shouldn't do this, but it's harder to see it in ourselves. At, at, at no point in this story do we see Jacob go, oh, I see the irony in this. Let's see what happened here. No. And here's the reality. Neither do we. Neither do we. We don't see the irony in the things that we do to cause the most hurt to people. And then when it happens to us, we act as if, how could they? It's what Jesus was talking about in in Matthew 7. He says, hey, why, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. Ooh, we hate that word in church, don't we? We like to use it. We hate to have it used against us. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. Jacob stole the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn brother. And now here he is. And here's Laban's response to him. Laban said, it is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we'll give you the other in return for serving me another seven years. 
Laban's like, hey, just because you cheated the process doesn't mean I will. Now, he was deceitful. He was ugly. But he also held true to their value in their culture. So he, he serves another seven years for the one he loves. Verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. What a story. What a story. Listen, crazier than any rom-com, crazier than any movie, the novels you read, the soap operas you watch, this has it all. And the story doesn't stop there. Like, Leah is having children and Rachel cannot, and so she's jealous, and so because she can't, she then takes her servant and has Jacob have a, a son with, with her servant, and then Leah gets buried, and, and they just keep having this convoluted mess of going back and forth, fighting for attention, being jealous, being ugly, doing these things, and yet still a family. Like this, this whole story is a mess. Who would ever want to be in this family? Who would ever choose this family? Jacob is a deceiver on the run from his brother. He ends up uh, uh, working for Laban. He ends up in bed with the ugly sister. Then he has to serve another seven years for the pretty sister, right? And, 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 and this whole thing is just, it's, it's, it's messy, it's ugly. I don't even, to be honest, can I be honest with you? Most of the time I'm like, Lord, why you put this stuff in the Bible? We'd look way less crazy if you didn't. But here's, here's what God's showing. Uh, Laban was pretty ugly. Jacob was pretty ugly. Leah was pretty ugly. Rachel was pretty ugly. And out of all of that, God chose to make something beautiful. Out of all of that, here's, here's what most of us would do. We look at a situation, we go, uh, this is too messed up. We walk away. That's what we do. When things get messy, when things get dirty, when things get ugly, we most of the time just choose, you know what, I think this is the wrong choice. I'll try something else. God doesn't look at this messy situation and say, ah, that was wrong, I should choose somebody else. No, in fact, he does the opposite. We see later in Genesis 32, we see Jacob and God wrestling together. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so God says this in verse 28, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. God blesses him. God gives him a new name, Israel. And his 12 sons, out of that whole messy situation, turn into the promise of God to Abraham and become the 12 tribes of Israel. All the way back to the promise through an entirely messy story. And, and some of you in here going, what does this have to do with me? It's this, it's when, when God is putting his people together, when God is forming his people, it came through ugly moments with some ugly people 
who also happen to be pretty ugly at times. And there's, there's this thought that sits in, in our minds. It's, it's that the church, it's that this, this family of believers that belong to God, that they should be perfect. That, that we should be buttoned up, have everything nice and proper, and, and, and everything is in order, and nothing should be messy. But the reality is, it's not. More often than not, it's people with an ugly past pursuing a pretty and beautiful future who at times can still be pretty ugly. You may, you may say, well, well that's, that's, that's Old Testament. That's God. God did a new thing in the New Testament. He did. And they were still ugly. Like we always point to like, oh, Pentecost, they got filled with the Spirit. Oh, they gave everything they had. That's the church we should be. They also lied about it. Also, when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, you know why they received the power of the Holy Spirit? Because God said, I want you to go. They didn't go. They made their own little club and they stayed together tight. And you know what had to happen? Persecution so they could scatter. And then as they scattered, they still had this thought in its mind that this is for us. They were racist. And God had to break that thought down as well. And then we skip all the way to Corinthians. Corinthians is a mess. Oh my gosh, he's like, stop sleeping with other people's spouses. Don't sleep with your stepmother. What? This is, this is the church. This is God's people. The, the church has always been imperfect. And mostly because me and you are in it. Here's what I'm here to tell you today. Too many people have walked away from the church. They have walked away from their faith. They have walked away from a church family who love them deeply because of imperfect people in the church. Far too often, people leave because church was ugly because we expected more out of the church. And here's the deal, rightfully so. Please, please hear me, listen, in the church, you will encounter pretty people, ugly people, and pretty ugly people. So we're gonna break those three down, you ready? Pretty people. In your mind right now, you're like, that's me. Listen, in the church, you will encounter people who will show you the beauty, the brilliance of God Almighty. There'll be moments that you will literally walk away and go, oh my gosh, that was Jesus with skin on. You will encounter these people. The best people I know are in the church. People who have, who have taught me how, how to come out of, of sin. People who have taught me how to be a man. People who have taught me how to be a, a better father. People who have taught me how to be a better husband. The best people I know are in the church. People who have blessed me even at the sake of their own expense. I've, I've seen people sacrifice to give to others. I've seen people have without so that somebody else could have more. I've seen it in the church. The church is full of beautiful people. It's beautiful. The sacrifices they made. The most meaningful relationships I have ever had have been found in the church. John 13, 35, or 34. It says, a new covenant I give you. This is Jesus speaking. 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it's easy. Just love people and they'll see me. They'll know you belong to me when you love them just as I have loved you. But you know when Jesus says this? He says this to the disciples at the Passover, what we know as the Last Supper, right after he washed the feet of the disciples. And do you know which disciple was still in that group of people? Judas. The one he already knew would betray him. In the church, you will encounter ugly people. Promise, guaranteed, signed, sealed, delivered, whatever you want. You will encounter ugly people. Here's Jesus, and he washes the feet of the disciple who would betray him, had not yet betrayed him, but he knew he would. I, I just try and think about some of these things. Like, I don't have to ask hands raised because I can already know that the majority of the room, but probably the majority of you in here have had somebody in the church betray you. Okay? And in my mind, like, when somebody's betrayed me, I just, I, I, I pray for them, but really I only pray for them because the verse in the Bible that says, if you pray and bless for your enemies, God will put like heaping hot coals on their head, right? That's my reasoning. <laughs> Maybe not yours, you're more saved than me. Uh, that's, that's what I think when I'm like, oh, they betrayed me, Lord, bless them, but get them, right? That's how I feel. And, but Jesus knows he will betray him and still does the greatest act of servanthood at that time. He washes his feet. He knew. Church, listen, I'm telling you, there are ugly people in the church. There are people in here, there are people out there who will do awful things to you. Many of my deepest hurts come from people in the church. If you're in the church for any amount of time, you will realize that there are ugly people in the church. And if you stick around long enough, you'll also realize you might be one of them. Because here's why. Third group of people we'll encounter in the church, pretty ugly people. Now when I say pretty ugly, uh, I don't mean a greater scale of ugly. But what I mean is, is this convoluted mess of something ugly and something beautiful. And all of us are on this journey of saying, Lord, we were once lost. And we're trying to find our way to being like him. Yes. But it's in this process that we could end up being pretty and ugly. Listen, the church has always been an imperfect place, okay? And, 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 and when we have this idea and this concept of Jesus, this, this is what's crazy, is, is this is the moment where we have a standard of beauty. This is the moment. There is no sliding scale. This is the moment, it doesn't matter what lens you look through. He is perfection. 
He is the standard. He is the one that said, oh my gosh, there's sin that is separating us. I'm here in heaven, what should I do? Step out of my deity into, into earth. Step into earth. Become a man. Die. Suffer a gruesome death. Raise from the grave so that we could have relationship. There's no sliding scale. He is perfection. He is holy. He is perfect. But where we, the church, where we can get off, we can get hurt, we can get offended because we have projected the ones that were made in his image to now think that that is his image. We take the imperfect people still trying to figure out their way and we say, well, that is him. And we blame it. It's a theme we've been dealing with since, since Jesus set the standard. In Romans 3.23, we see all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. We're all here. We're all a mess. Take the weight off your shoulder. You're not perfect. You won't be. Till eternity. It's, it's Gandhi who was quoted. I'm sure we've all heard this quote. But Gandhi says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And yes, that's a sad reality. But also a sad reality is that people misunderstanding the standard for those who are chasing after the standard. Saying, I'm not perfect, I'm not like him yet, but day after day I'm striving, I, I, I'm working, I'm trying to become, listen, we, we've talked about this before, salvation is a free gift, fully received, bought, paid for, done, signed, it's done. But our salvation, our, our, our transformation process is hard. Our transformation process takes sacrifice. Our transformation process takes hard conversations. Our transformation process says, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me what I missed. Please help me. I don't want to miss my blind sides. Do I look ugly in this sweater? Now, you, you need people to tell you. And it's doing it together. The goal is Christ, but Paul says in Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning day after day, with fear and trembling. Fear because I go, God, today I may miss the mark. I don't wanna miss it. I wanna look like you. I don't wanna misrepresent you. Saying, God, I just, just give me the grace today to show people who you are. God, today if I fall, give me the grace to, to be humble enough to say I'm sorry. I have to walk this out. Church, this, this is the tension. Okay, listen, this is the tension of being in a church the people who have helped me more than anyone else have also hurt me more than anyone else. 
people who, and I'm speaking now personally, people who were monumental in, ha- in, in me stepping into my calling are these same ones that years later had me almost walking away from my calling. The same people who brought me in and blessed me also sent me out and cursed me. This is the tension we have to hold. That we don't project the ones, the the people who are imperfect, trying to be like Christ, trying to figure it out and projecting that image onto Christ and now denying him. imperfect people navigating our way to a perfect God there are times where I know I could say I do not look like my Christ there are times where I know people in the church do not look like Christ but I'm, I'm here today to ask you please 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 Don't exchange one for the other. Don't don't just assume that because we missed the mark that God's not good, that God's not still who he is. It's easy to project on others, but it's, it's hard to understand about ourselves, right? There are days we hit the mark and man, we show people who Jesus was. There are days we miss the mark and man, we just, we have to ask for grace and forgiveness. And sometimes you, you would look at this family and you would think like Jacob's family, who would ever want to be a part of this? But here's what I'm telling you. If you allow yourself to live in the tension of both pretty and ugly, if you will allow yourself to take this process and this journey, God will do something beautiful. God will do something beautiful. So here's the tension we have to hold, okay? We have to choose to do life with people who are on this ever-changing, ever-sliding scale between the imperfect towards the perfect one. And we won't hit it. So we have to live in that tension. So there's, there's three thoughts that I actually want you to take home with you this week. So if you have a, something to write it down, write it down. If you have notes on your phone, write it on your phone. But they're this. First one is, where do I find myself most like Christ? And the sub question after that is, how do I allow Jesus to use more of that? Man, some of you in here, you've got some, you got some call. The people in this church need you. The places where you look most like Jesus the people in this church, the people in this community, they need that. They need it. It's, it's desperately needed. The second question is, is where do I find myself most unlike Christ? And how do I allow Jesus to transform that? Here's why you also need the church. Because somebody in the church can put their arm around you and say, hey, that's, that's not quite right. Because I love you, let me help you. And it's, it's with people and it's with God that things transform. And then the third, and some of you, actually probably a lot of you have been in this season, uh, and I wanna take some time to pray about it here in a little bit. Uh, but have I projected the image of the imperfect 
onto the perfect one? Have I, have I take man's faults and failures and have I made them God's faults and failures? And if so, how do I allow Jesus to heal that? So that every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I just pray in this room right now. God, this beautiful, convoluted mess between pretty and ugly in the church. You would give us the grace to live with one another as we work through it. God, I also pray that you give us the grace to transform our own lives as we work through it and, and allow others to give us the grace. But Lord, what, what, I, what I pray most is that, that people in this church would say that, that I will still choose to be a part of this family, no matter what portion of the scale this thing is on. I gotta pray right now for anybody in this room right now who has been hurt by the church, hurt by the people of the church. Lord, I pray there'd be healing in their soul. But God, you know, I, I pray more than, than just you doing an inner work. I pray that somebody would come alongside them and help do an outer work. It's the beautiful thing about the church is that although it can hurt, it can help heal. So Lord, heal our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.